Hello, hello. I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. And we are your therapists next door. Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health. Every episode, we interview a healthcare professional. It's sometimes serious, sometimes sad, most times ridiculous. This week, we welcome Felicia Keller Boyle, who is a therapist and a business coach. Welcome everyone to Therapist Next Door, a podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing someone in a helping profession, asking questions that you want the answers to and answering questions you didn't know you had. I'm Joanna, a board certified music therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm a white, straight, cisgendered female and my pronouns are she, hers, and I used to BMX race in fourth grade. So strictly fourth grade. Yeah. It, so well, I'll explain. After. I'll explain what happened. Okay. Oh, okay. This, yep. is, a, this is a two-parter. I'm this ready. is a two-parter. Right. And I'm Sarah, an LPC from Pennsylvania, transplant from South Jersey. I'm a straight cis white woman and my pronouns are she, her, and I don't think Leonardo DiCaprio is that great of an actor. I think he just Ooh. yells. Ooh. Hot off the press. Hot off the press, Titanic is on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, that was 24 years ago, but he has perfected yelling and not perfected sadness, happiness. Isn't that what like the Revenant is? It's just him yelling in the wilderness. Yeah, but he doesn't have to talk in the Revenant. No, I know. Yeah. Like it's just him grunting and he because he loses his vocal cords. (laughs) I think we fast forwarded through the majority of that movie. Mm. yeah that's yeah you missed it's like a castaway you didn't miss much talking yeah um what do you feel about like i'm just trying to think of other movies he's been in like wolf of wall street i so my husband and i've talked about this and not an original thought if you're listening (laughs) i'm crediting you don't 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 be upset he is very good at coming into a room being loud and being on and he's good at acting like another person, if that makes sense. Like in The Departed, he had to act like a drug dealer, or he had to act like a person working in like the mafia and the Irish mob. And in other movies, he's had to act like mm. something else. But his real character is like super vapid. And <laughs> I really, I feel like he he acted his entire life and he picked up a lot of skills. And I'm not saying that he's a bad actor. I'm just saying he is elevated. Mm. And this could be some like 12 or 11 year old revenge coming through because I was very into him in 1997 and 1998, Circa Titanic. But, you know, I'm a up now. (laughs) Game recognizes game. And, you know, I don't see any game. I'm not recognizing a lot of games. All right. So hot take. Yeah, I love it. Um, So back to BMXing. Back to BMXing. Yeah. So I think I did a total of four races. Um, because I crashed on one race and, uh, fell on top of my handlebars. Um, luckily my dad had just bought, or my grandpa had just bought me grips for, cause my dad like melded this bike out of two other bikes. Um, so it was, you know, it was like, I think we called it Franken bike. 
And, um, you know, until up until then, the the sides of the handlebars had been like open. So if I had fallen on the handlebars without the grips on, it probably would have been a worse story for me. It looked like I had swallowed a, a baseball. It was the only time I've gotten to ride in an ambulance. Um, oh. And uh, <laughs> the best part was they made me drink this like chalky stuff for like a CT scan or like some, some sort of scan. And because I was like, how old are you in fourth grade? Like 10, I don't t- 11. I don't know. Yes. Um, <laughs> because I thought I was like super smart. I didn't like it, but I told the nurse I did like it. So that way I would get to stop drinking it. And then she said, okay, great. Then now drink more. So that didn't work out for me. What a bummer. I, I, we are getting a little bit of a peek into both of our lives in fourth grade. I know. Yeah. I think I wore, I think I wore like a Batgirl t-shirt too. I thought it was pretty sick. Did you have like a little number number on your back? Uh, I think it it was on the front of the bike. I don't remember what the number was. I mean, there is a pretty cool picture of me on the bike. Maybe I can provide it to you, Sarah, for our stuff with this. Um, I would be very excited to receive and be a part of that idea. There's an it's pretty cool. Watched for a pandemic bad movie night. Joanna, you know, we were doing that with some of my husband's friends on Saturday nights. We'd vote for bad movies to watch during the peak of the pandemic. And we watched a movie called Rad. And it stars a bunch of BMX racers that were big in the 90s and also stars Aunt Becky from Full House, who Mm. more recently was known for different things. But she's in the movie as a BMX rider and very obviously has like a body double. But at the end of at the like peak of the movie, they show like the big race, but they show like all four or five laps of it. So the peak of the movie is like 10 minutes long and you think it's only going to be one lap. I don't know. It's That's weird. typically typically in entertainment. You're like, okay, this is the peak. It lasts for a second. But no, we're going to do real time. We're going to show you all the laps. I think the BMX track I was on was only one lap because like the scary part is like at the beginning, you're on this big hill and like there's just a gate stopping your bike from rolling down this hill. So it's like a little scary um yeah that's yeah that's pretty horrifying but pretty rad i guess pretty rad. Pretty rad and becky yeah there was there was like a prom scene where they both showed up to prom <laughs> on bmx bikes and they danced pretty cool yeah in handstands on their bmx bikes whoa that's actually yeah. really rad yeah. and becky like really added a lot of points to her to her cool calendar but not anymore Becky. Yeah. sorry sorry all right. Well, how dirty are your floors, Sarah? Oh, good Lord. I don't remember. I think my floors are clean. I should start writing down if I need to clean my floors for the next episodes. But yeah. Housekeeping. How about you? I think I'm good. I think I'm pretty clean. I, don't know. I think we should just accept that even if we make mistakes. Yeah. You don't need to recognize that. I'll just keep asking, like, how are your actual physical floors? Mine are not yeah. clean. They got to get cleaner. Yeah. So, yeah. Mine are full of the coasters that I'm making for holiday gifts. Nice. <laughs> I texted one person and asked them if they would like. So for the listener, I've been trying to do homemade gifts for the holiday season the past couple of years because it's easier and it's easier and it's way less expensive and I get to put my heart and soul into it. And Aww. this year I'm making little fabric coasters and 
I sent a photo, same photo I sent to Joanna and a couple other people. Hey, do you want holiday coasters or regular, just like regular colors? And someone said, oh, are you selling them? And I said, now we know another holiday gifts. She's like, oh, how much? <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation. Wow. I mean, then, now you got, you got a, you got a way in. Every time you like have a hobby, <laughs> let me, let me, let me just speak for a sec. Every time you have a hobby, people need to capitalize upon it. And it makes me nauseous. <laughs> just let me have a hobby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and okay, cool. That was, a, that was a quick one. Thank you. Good. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I responded holiday, which is like how I wanted the text to come across. I think it was holiday with two exclamation points. Yeah. So well received. Thank you. Welcome. All right. Well, stay tuned after the break for our lesson for today. time for our lesson. The lesson is compiled facts describing history and or current events, good and bad, in order to give context for the field our interviewee works in. Our sources for today's lesson are investopedia.com, newamerica.org, an article entitled History of Student Loans Origins by Richard Paladry, article entitled Student Loan Debt Statistics by Melody Hansen. So trigger warning for today is not facetious. We are going to be talking about finances. And I understand that that may be a trigger warning. Student loans. (laughs) Specifically student loans. And I understand, again, that I'm not being facetious. That may be something that's not taken seriously or making light of the statement trigger warning. I become extremely anxiety or anxious when talking about finances. And I think that that is an actual real issue. So trigger warning finances. Thank you for listening. First, we're going to start off with some student loan debt statistics. So please fast forward if you do not want to hear this. First off, we have 43.2 million student borrowers that are in debt by an average of $39,351 each in the United States. The outstanding federal loan portfolio is over $1.59 trillion. Approximately 42.9 million Americans with federal student loan debt each owe an average of $37,105 for their federal loans. So just to kind of give some clarification here, and I did decide that I wanted to disclose this, I have $63,000 in student loan debt right now. Um, And that was from two years of grad school. So for folks that for folks that went through PhD programs or folks that went through grad school, but also had to go in debt for their go into debt for their um, their bachelor's degree as well. We are we are talking money here. We are talking big money. Do not let thirty seven thousand dollars is a lot of money, but please do not think that that is the most of what people owe right now. Yeah, that honestly seems like a little low to me. Yeah, it's definitely factoring in folks that didn't have to pay or. Who knows? I don't Because I, I am know. one of those who had undergrad debt and then mm-hmm. I just pile it on for grad school. Big time. Yep. yep. 
All right, more than 35 million of these borrowers qualified for general student relief under the CARES Act of 2020. The average public university student borrows $33,030 to attain a bachelor's degree. Let's talk a little bit about the history of student loans, Joanna. All right. All right. The concept of lending students money to finance their education is an old one. Though students at medieval universities were typically supported by their wealthy families and patrons, somewhat informal institutions of loans were established for students who might need them. So before we get too into this, I do want to, this is like one of those history lessons where the history of something traumatic that we're living through right now is comical and yeah. cartoonish. <laughs> so please okay. bear in mind as we read. At the University of Bologna, the oldest European university, groups of foreign students provided loans to their countrymen as needed during the 12th century. In 1240 CE, a system was established at Oxford University wherein students would deposit valuables in a trunk known as St. Friedswide's Chest as a collateral for interest-free education loans. This system expanded and persisted over until the 16th century when conventional lenders took over. In the United States, universities such as Dartmouth and Princeton occasionally advanced students the cost of their education, which was later to be repaid during the Revolutionary War period of the late 18th century. However, the first university to do so on a formal basis was Harvard, which established the Harvard Loan Fund in 1848. The fund was endowed by alumni and students could apply on the first day of class. The concept was soon taken up by other universities. The passage of the National Defense Education Act in 1958 was motivated in part by a competition with Russia, okay, which had launched the world's first satellite, Sputnik, the year before which is so interesting. We're talking about that today when recently they blew up one of their satellites and created like a lot of space junk. Um, the purpose of this act was to bolster science, mathematics, and foreign language education. This was the first federally backed loan system. It granted loans of up to $1,000 a year with a total loan amount not to exceed $5,000. Loans were repaid over the span of a decade following graduation and carried a 3% interest rate. Teachers could obtain a certain amount of forgiveness if they taught for five years. 50% of their debt would be canceled. This is this is one of a long list of things that the U.S. did to either beat Russia or differentiate themselves from Russia around that time, including uh, inserting a lot of Christianity into our secular culture. Just to, again, just to differentiate from like 1950s Eastern communism. So, go us. In 1965, the passage of the Higher Education Act, that was facetious, by the way, the passage of the Higher Education Act moved student borrowing towards an intermediary system, a guaranteed student loan or the GSL program, part of a title for part of title four of the act backed loans issued by private lenders with federal funds and the government guarantee. The government would repay the loans if students defaulted. These later became known as the Stafford loans. We know that word. Mm hmm. When the act was reauthorized in 1972, it it formed the Student Loan Marketing Association known as Sally May, mm -hmm. another name we know. The government-sponsored enterprise GSC in, or GSC intended to facilitate liquidity in the loan market. Sally May privatized in 2004 and spun off Navian in 2014. So when you hear when you hear really unethical, immoral student loan facilitators, Sally May is the face of that 
Sally yeah. Mae has notoriously high interest rates. They are very unforgiving in, in payments being defaulted. And they also have their payment days per month at a very inconvenient time for most people that are paying back. Um, so definitely something to read a little bit about on your own. And Navient is changing as well. It's now going to be yes, something else. Yeah. Yes, they are. And Sally Mae also has has a partner, Fannie Mae, that I believe works in real estate. Mm. That could be for my floors next week. <laughs> for my housekeeping. Okay. The passage of the 1992 Higher Education Amendments instituted an unsubsidized version of the Stafford Loan. Identified as, quote, an unsubsidized Stafford Loan for middle-income borrowers. Again, making them available for students regardless of income. The use of guaranteed loans persisted despite the availability of direct loans until the financial crisis of 2008, which saw a decreased faith in private creditors, which is like just my time to get into loans. Passage of the Ensuring Continued Access to Student Loans Act enabled private lenders to continue making federal loans despite problems in the capital markets. However, it wasn't until the passage of the 2010 Healthcare and Education Reconciliation Act that guaranteed loans were eliminated. The act mandated that all federal government student loans must be obtained directly. Private lenders had to make their own loans without involvement of the federal government. The debate over the wisdom of the structure rages on, with federal and private student loans standing as the second highest debt category as of 2018. The continued evolution of the student loan system is all but a certainty. That is a very very loose not loose very thin history of student loans in the united states if you want to read a little more about when working class middle class and impoverished americans were allowed to start borrowing it's a wormhole but it's definitely it's knowledge that you could have you could also yeah. not have it if you don't want to if you don't want to add some disappointment to your day yeah um, and yeah. i think in the context of this is just imagine that all of the therapists all have these student loans so because yeah. we all have had had to go on to higher education and uh, that's not easy to pay for. Mm -hmm. Yes, they have they have high student loans like Joanna mentioned matched with internalized stigma about not uh, wanting to make their clients go broke and charging them too much money because we are told that we shouldn't be doing that. It's something that we should be offering out of the kindness of our hearts. Which is very nice in theory in a Disney movie, but Disney movies end after 90 minutes and we don't know what happens to people. So. Yeah. <laughs> Probably only good things. All right. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, uh, stay tuned after the break while we talk to our guest for today. Felicia Keller Boyle is a therapist and business coach in California. She began mentoring and coaching other therapists while successfully running her own six-figure practice working just three days a week. Felicia now teaches other therapists how to do the same in her program, Liberated Business. Therapists in Liberated Business learn how to build pleasure-centered, wealth-generating practices without sacrificing impact. During the pandemic, Felicia learned how to ride a motorcycle and is a proud owner of a Triumph Street twin named Melty Baby. So amazing. Welcome, Felicia. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here. Thank you so for being with us so early. I think this is our first, maybe West Coast. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I think we've done mountain time, but I don't think we've done uh, any Pacific Ooh, this is standard our time. Yeah. So far, 
Yes, thank you. I am so excited to be your first West Coaster. And I am thoroughly a West Coaster, born and raised in California. I've been here most of my life, uh, currently based in San Francisco. So I'm happy to be like the introduction to our beautiful state of California. Absolutely. Oh, so good. So tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Well, like I said, or like you guys said, (laughs) I'm a therapist. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I've been working in the mental health field for over a decade. I got started straight out of undergrad working in community mental health. Um, And yeah, when I was in grad school, I was in almost like a pseudo private practice model type clinic. And I never imagined that I would do private practice work. I think when I entered the field, I always imagined I'd be doing community mental health, but then, you know, I kind of had this budding private practice and I thought, well, I'm just going to go for it. Like if I'm ever going to do a private practice, like I may as well take advantage of this foundation. Um, So I kept on going down that track, kept on building my caseload, really got clear on my specialty, which was uh, treating folks, uh, who had substance addiction and codependency, which is incidentally what I got started on really, really early in my career. It's also something that is very near and dear to my heart on a personal level. Uh, And then, yeah, I just had friends who were like, can I work with you? Basically, (laughs) can you teach me how to do what you're doing? Or I would be talking about my work with colleagues and friends and they'd be like, huh, like, that's really interesting. Like, tell me more. And so this whole coaching and mentoring therapist just happened really, really organically. And after a while, I, you know, it was kind of like a secret almost. I was like a secret coach. And there there are a lot of therapists who are also secret therapists. And then they wonder why they are having a hard time getting clients because they're like, oh, well, no one knows what you do. (laughs) Like only your friends from grad school. And like, we might want to might want to stop being a secret. So anyway, I was a secret coach for a while and now I'm not. And it's great. I love it. Great. Fantastic. I I totally get that. I didn't start doing personal marketing until this year. And I was like, wait, there is a whole community and I can just get people this way. But the practice I worked in last year just did like Facebook ads and Google ads. And the fact that you, the fact that you can just put yourself out there marketing wise and also interact with the community and make an impact for who is a member of that community is so cool. And I think it's so much better. It's a much better route. All right. Absolutely. How has the pandemic affected your day-to-day work? So <laughs> obviously things changed a lot. Uh, as a therapist, I was already seeing probably a, a third to maybe even half of my caseload remotely for various reasons. Um, I like a like you said in the intro, I only worked three days a week. I kept my hours really constrained. Um, so that meant that if people really wanted to work with me, they had to figure out how to work with me during those hours. So that would mean some people would take their lunch breaks and meet with me remotely during that time. Um, I had a couple, one was, you know, there was a stay at home dad and there was a mom working, uh, in an office. So they want to do couples therapy, but it was really hard for them to like make it to my office after work. So we would meet in the middle of the day. He'd be at their home. She'd be in the office, uh, all the way to clients who had started working with me in the Bay area and then had moved to other parts of California. Right. So yeah, 
people in tech who would travel all over the world, you know, to take, so I would meet with my clients while they were on vacations, while they were traveling for work, just like, so my caseload was already really, really used to teletherapy. And I was actually really used to teletherapy, which was, you know, some therapists were already doing that, but for a lot of therapists, the transition was really rough. There's a lot about whether or not we can do effective work. Uh, and I was already convinced that we absolutely could. And I'm a somatic therapist. I went to one of the few graduate programs in somatics. So for those of you who aren't familiar with that, that's a kind of like a body-based approach to psychotherapy. And so in, in grad school, I was learning how to interact with clients by actually using touch and like doing all these fun experiments with like gesture and all of that. So uh, if a somatic therapist can work via teletherapy, then anyone can, right? Um, so actually making the transition was not that challenging for myself or my caseload. Um, what did really change is I suddenly I had so much more time on my hands, right? Because I was a very busy bee. I was uh, taking ceramics classes and climbing and taking drumming and voice lessons. And I just, I was doing a bunch of extra curriculars and that came to a sudden halt. And it really gave me the opportunity to kind of reflect on, well, what do I really want to be doing? And again, I was mentoring other therapists at the time and coaching them. And I came to this point where I, I really decided I wanted to start putting more energy into that direction because I was having so much fun my clients were getting incredible results. Um, there's a, the container of coaching versus therapy is different, right? Coaching is what it sounds like. It's a coach. It's someone who's there to kind of, to some degree, give you instructions to like, give you your marching orders to say, yeah, go do this as opposed to therapy, which can be so, uh, we, we refrain from, from really doing that. At least we try to, right? And so it, it was really fun for me to get to try that hat on and to work in that way where people genuinely wanted to know <laughs> what I thought. Um, and not only that, but I could use my experience of building my own business and direct, like really help people not make the same mistakes to, to do the things that I knew would, would save them time, energy, money, would make them happier in the long run. It just felt really, really good to like... <laughs> give that knowledge back to people. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I had the time to decide to create liberated business and I did that. And now we are wrapping up the end of one year, which it, when I first got started, it felt like time is moving so slowly. And now I can't believe I've been doing it for a year. Uh, and we're about to start our third cohort really, really soon. So I'm so excited about that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Congratulations on one year. That is so yeah. incredible. Yeah. Thank you. It's been really great. And the people who are in it, I'm just totally crazy about them. They're from all over the country of people in the South and in New York and folks in California, um, Pacific Northwest. And yeah, I mean, they're also in like completely different places in their lives. There are like moms, there are single people, there are partnered people, they're you know, just getting started in their private practices to people who are more seasoned and yeah, they're just so much fun to work with. It feels really, really good to help therapists because 
we kind of need a lot of help. We come out of grad school with like a lot of oops, weird ideas, especially about money. Uh, <laughs> and honestly, most of us will probably go through our careers not even addressing it. And that's like really, really unfortunate. Um, because as you said before, like money is something that can intimidate a lot of people. And I know my approach for a long time was I'm simply not going to, I'm, I would say things like money's not important to me, or, you know, I'm not in it for the money or like that it's just sort of like this perspective as if I could opt out of money. Like I could just pretend like, oh, that's other people care about money. I don't as if that's like a way to avoid the implications of money in our world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like every time we do something like that, we also further enable a system that keeps planting that idea in our head that we don't need money, which is, which is a system that's also you, or it's a way that's also used to oppress people that are low income. Like, Oh, you don't need this. Like, why would you, why do you feel like you need to like seek out enjoyment? Why do you feel like you need to do things for yourself? It's, it's a way to just make us all feel like we aren't deserving of something a little bit more than just our needs being met. Right. Yeah. I think that question of like what we're deserving of is a really interesting one. And that's, I was just having a conversation with um, a mentee of mine about this the other day, how I've I've decided some years ago that like, I don't actually believe in the concept of deserving or not deserving because it feels really, really good to us whenever we're like, I deserve this and worthiness is very similar. Like therapists will go through all this effort to kind of like decide that they're worthy of being paid well, decide that they're worthy of taking vacations, like whatever it may be, they'll be like, I'm worthy. And that feels really good when you're in that space. But as soon as like you get a side eye from another therapist who hears your fee or you like someone questions it, they're saying, well, you know, you think it's okay to do this, but what about all the people who are suffering? Then you're like suddenly thrown into this questioning of, well, maybe I don't deserve it. Maybe I'm not worthy. And I think this yeah. And like, we can, <laughs> person I was talking to yesterday was talking about how they kind of see the world as like, well, if you've been through something hard, then you deserve something good. Right. So we do this weird thing where we'll like justify our good fortune or the things we're doing to take care of ourselves because, you know, really I'm suffering in this other way. So it's all justified. And I'm like, what is this weird game that we're playing where like the only people who get to have something good have suffered before. It's like, and instead I'm just like, no, you get to have what you want to have. What if we just decide it's that? If you want to have it, you get to have it. And then it becomes your responsibility to create that experience for yourself. Because we don't deserve or not deserve things. Like uh, what metric are we looking for that would make one person deserving and another person not? This is ridiculous. Instead, we are all deserving of joy of happiness of freedom all these different things so it's like let's stop fighting with ourselves about whether or not we deserve it and just decide to have it and then do the work to make it happen yeah and because then we like get this backwards thinking of like oh well you know I didn't really go through a hardship to get this so like I I can't really fully enjoy this you know I, I must be doing something wrong because I didn't work as hard as I should have. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's a lot of 
what I'm trying to help therapists overcome. You know, a lot of them, when they're thinking about, um, <laughs> you know, first they have to like start to look at money and then maybe they get to the point where they're thinking about, okay, what are my income goals? And then they have a really hard time accepting that that would be okay for them to have because other people have it worse. And it's like, again, you, you being poor, remaining broke and hustling does not actually help other broke hustling people. And that was like a real big change that I had to go through. Um, I really had to grapple with that because I grew up without a lot of money. And I also grew up having a lot of resentment towards people who I perceived as having access to wealth. And it was something that I was super identified with. You know, I didn't want to be like those out of touch people. And I had to just decide that those don't have to go together (laughs) and confront my own fears about being the bad guy. And like, maybe, you know what, who knows, maybe being someone that other people would perceive as being out of touch and honestly being willing to, to have that experience that I don't get to control other people's perceptions of me. And I'm, I have to be okay with my own decisions. Yeah. Yeah, that's making me think I, I, I've struggled with a lot of internalized classism since kind of like changing socioeconomic statuses in the past 10 years. And I'm realized, like I, Felicia, I had similar, similar like animosity and resentment towards people that had when I didn't have. And I realized that a lot of it, I mean, a, a lot of it obviously was income inequality and the class structure being trash in our country, but also it was because there were people around me, the adults in my life or like in my, in my like culture group that were also condemning out of, out of their own resentment and out of their own jealousy or out of their own like feeling of loss of control. And that's like, that's hard. That's hard to come to grips with that. It was also the people around me that were kind of facilitating this because they were experiencing their own pain, which is hard to think about. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, I know I did that as a child. I, you know, it's a lot easier to be like being poor sucks. Not having access sucks there. That is hard. It has real implications for our quality of life. Like it's not, it's not great. It's a lot easier to be pissed off at rich people than feel how much it sucks to be poor. I mean, and maybe that's a little weird to say as if you could avoid feeling what it feels like to be poor. But in terms of like being a little kid, you know, I'm imagining my little kid self and like, where am I going to put my attention? Am I going to put my attention on feeling sorry for myself because, you know, I want access to things I can't have? Or is it, is there somehow something that's more satisfying or easier to deal with by turning my attention towards being angry at the other kids in school who are able to do the things I'm not able to? So really speaking from like that little kid perspective of like, how do we deal with this? Um, And then, you know, that carries into our adulthood, you know, and if we, but we can sometimes not recognize that's where it's coming from. It's coming from those moments. And then when I'm working with people who maybe almost have the opposite experience of that, right, where maybe they grew up with access to wealth, they're dealing, it's like the outcome behaviorally is very similar, but it like comes from almost like the reverse place where they feel guilty about charging for their services about valuing their labor in a certain way. And so they also have to do money work. So it's this really fascinating thing that I've discovered is it really doesn't matter if you're coming from it from this uh, perspective of 
having not had or having had, it's like everybody seems to have some money stuff that they have to work through. And again, for the longest time, I just thought I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to engage with it. Like I truly did just attempt to put it out of my mind because money was such a painful topic. There was so much pain wrapped up in it. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, well, there's not good like financial literacy in this country. Like we don't teach it to kids. And so if you grow up in a family where that's not being taught or you're getting passed down to you um, ways to engage with money that aren't very skillful, then you're kind of shit out of luck. And it's on you to start to educate yourself. And that can be very daunting to start to engage with that information to start to, you know, log into a website and see what your student loan balance is, for instance, or to start researching things like retirement, which really threw me for a loop, especially because of climate change. I was like, are we even still going to be alive? You know, I went through this whole like. <laughs> yeah. And social security too. Social like how, when it asks, are you going to take advantage? I'm like, ah, are you yeah. <laughs> will I be able to yeah. right so I can totally I've experienced how overwhelming that whole process was but I, I started to understand that my options were keep on doing what I was doing remain ignorant not understand money um, and continue to feel kind of victimized by the system continue to not have access to the experiences in life that I wanted, continue to feel like I was one of the good guys simply because I was remaining broke. Mm -hmm. um, there's that, or it was confront my fears and start to educate myself and give myself permission to kind of be messy about it, to not be perfect about it, to, to learn as I go, to try things out and get to make mistakes to, in order to stop complaining about money, ultimately, it's like, what do I need to do so that I get to stop complaining about this and, you know, give myself permission to redefine what it means to have money. Cause again, I had to give, I had to break this idea that having money meant you had to be like a bad person. Right. So the only way I'll ever get to figure out if that's true or not for me is to actually give myself the permission to try. Like, what is it, what does it look like in my life when I have access to, to money? What do I actually do with that? Right. Absolutely. You are, you are differentiating yourself between people that have so much money that that means other people can't have money and just somebody who, who puts a good price tag on their labor. And that is the difference. Yeah. I, and I think what you just said is one of the ways that we'll look at, yeah, we'll look at money is almost like it's extracting. Right. And I think a lot of therapists, when they're setting their fee, they really are concerned that they're extracting money. Right. And what I like to think of is, is what I, what I do with the money that I get paid is I'm finally doing things like actually saving for retirement. I have an emergency fund for the first time in my life. I pay the speakers who come to speak in my program, even if they do end up getting clients from showing up in my program. I was looking for an assistant to help me in my program. I didn't look for the person who was the least expensive, you know, I'm not trying to be on every single sliding scale anymore. That feels really good. 
Like when people want to charge me for their labor, I'm really fucking happy to pay for it because I like, <laughs> I like to pay people well. It actually makes me really happy because I know what it's like to have not felt like I couldn't do that. And it's actually been really helpful for me to have people in my life who, even when I didn't have, when I, you know, and I don't have a huge bank account right now, but when I had even less people who were like, my coach is one of those people. She's fucking expensive. And she could have heard my circumstances and just said, oh yeah, not the right time, moving on, whatever. But she was continued to invite me to work with her. You know, it sounds like you really want to do this. Would you like to do this? And it was scary, but I said, yes. And I think that was actually a big turning point for me to have someone who could see like, no, I actually believe you can be, you can be upwardly mobile. Oh. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I had a similar conversation with a family friend before opening my practice. Like you can acquire this and you're not going to cause harm to people. You can be living something different than you are now, which is it's very catchphrasey sounding, but hearing it and like knowing that he meant it and he believed Mm. it and believed in me, that's a fucking experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, it just makes me think about like the guilt that we are like kind of programmed to feel when we're like, I want money, like, especially as helpers, you know, it's like, oh, but like, I'm not doing, there's a reason why I spent all this money on, and I'm going to spend all this money on grad school is like, so that I could do this and I'm not doing it for free. And right. Yeah. Except I think some of us, including myself, like kind of, again, like I didn't think that, but I just was thinking so little about money that like, that was kind of the result of ignoring mm-hmm. it to the extent that I did. I was like, I'm going to go to grad school to become a therapist because y'all, I decided to become a therapist when I was 13. Like I like have been wanting to do this work forever. Um, So I wasn't really thinking about money. I didn't grow up with money. I grew up with a parent who was a single parent who was doing manual labor, who was living paycheck to paycheck more or less. And I just was like, yeah, you just work really hard. And if you're lucky, you can like, (laughs) I mean, we go to a day trip for the beach. If you're really lucky, you can spend the night. Like, it's, I just didn't think about, like, I wasn't thinking about retirement. Like I wasn't thinking about vacations. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't thinking about any of those things. And so, yeah, I just, I was just like, I just want to be a therapist and I guess I'll figure it out. But like, that's not a fight. <laughs> it's not a financial plan. Like, and I think we need to understand that. Like we don't get to Listen, if you don't want to deal with money and you are so committed to that, go live off the grid on a mountain and then, then you can like avoid it for the most part. Unless that is actually what you are going to do, you do not get to opt out. And that was exactly the fantasy that I was living. I was like, I'm opting out. I like, we'll just go be on a mountain. It's like, okay, but are you really? Cause right now you live in San Francisco. <laughs> so when are we going to that mountain? Because if we're not going anytime soon, we need to get a handle on this current reality. Yeah, it's not taught. It's not taught to us. Like like Felicia, like you said, just that that thought just wasn't there. And that's such a gendered experience too. I mean, obviously, totally. we, we have such vast genders in the field, thankfully now, but women are not really taught to just have that awareness, to be present with money, to be in charge of money, to be 
thinking about it, to know what exists, to know that we have options of things to do with it, to make it grow or to spend it in a way that we see fit. And, and there's like a definitely stereotype of a woman who wants money and like who has, you know, who's, there's a stereotype. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's totally true. I felt very intimidated as a woman when it came to money, you know, we were taught, like, I, I never felt like it was good at math, you know, very classic thing that a lot of girls feel growing up that they're not good at math words. Great history, sociology. Awesome. Got that hey, when it comes to numbers. Great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amy, to solve all your problems, I can do it. Just don't know numbers, right? Uh, so yeah, I was definitely intimidated by that. But again, like, it might be helpful for folks who are listening, for therapists who are listening to just hear some ideas of how to get started. Um, because yeah, I mean, <laughs> I remember opening some books and being like, oh my God, this is just so much information. But I think that was it, like starting to read books, listening to certain podcasts, like following different people who talk about money. Um, one of my favorite people is the Money Witch. That's Jesse Susanna. She's based here in the Bay. Um, she's phenomenal. Uh, I really love her approach. Um, I started listening to the podcast, How I Built This, um, which isn't specifically about money, but it's about entrepreneurship and people who build businesses. And I think one of the things that was really helpful to me is I took a class at a local nonprofit um, for entrepreneurs. It's, in, it's based in the Bay and it's called the Renaissance Center. Um, and they do a business planning class that you can take. And it was so cool because I was in there with like a dozen other business owners. Some did service, some did product. And it was so helpful to like get in a room and think about my business as a business. Because the cool thing about like having conversations with other entrepreneurs is like, they, they have different hangups than what therapists have. Right. So it's like, we, we're gonna, we all have like a lot of really similar roadblocks when it comes to managing and running our businesses, but go talk to somebody in a different industry. Who's also an entrepreneur and they're going to have a completely different perspective. They're going to have their own set of hangups, but like, they're probably not going to be the exact same ones as ours. So I feel like that was so helpful to get into a room where I wasn't with a bunch of other sometimes judgy therapists <laughs> were like, Ooh, you want to charge that? You want to do that? Ooh. But what about all the people that you won't help? Like you're a terrible therapist. You're a bad therapist. Like to not be in a room with them and just go get in a room with other business owners and like, think about it from that perspective, which is like never the experience we have in grad school. And if we don't seek out those experiences, generally we will never have them. And then we wonder why we're not enjoying running our practices. Right. So anyway, talking to other entrepreneurs, listening to podcasts about other entrepreneurs, reading books about finance, which I can tell you guys more about later. If you want to put it in your show notes, you can. Um, just like some of the books I read early on that were really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because like you said, it can be very intimidating, but we have so much information that is such a, just a click away. So please understand that even if it's even if it's during your drive home and you're listening to it, or if it's like during your walk or your exercise, or if it's during your lunch break, you can like dedicate hours a week, just learning and absorbing this information. And it's, it's all, it's just online. Yeah. And it gets easier and easier and easier. Like no matter how overwhelming it feels at first, no matter how confusing all the different letters are like IRA, 401k. It's like, I was like, I don't, what are these? Like, I have no idea. Right. 
it will make sense as time goes on. And there's so much information out there. So much of it is free. Um, yeah. Talking to like a personal finance, like what's the word I'm talking. Yeah. Like a personal finance advisor, like many of them will get on a call with you for free. Um, so like, just get out there and start learning. And like, over time you will feel more equipped. And I think the other thing is like, start talking to your therapist friends about it. Like, don't be so fucking cagey about what you charge. Like, it's not a weird thing. Like you're running a business, not a hobby. Like put your fee on places, like have it publicly talk to other therapists. If you don't have any therapist friends who like, aren't judgy about it, come join liberated business. If you like do have there, if, even if you don't have therapist friends who are judgy, like you have people you can talk to about it, like still come join liberated business. Cause it's so important to have a space where you can feel, I don't know, free to explore and think about what you want to actually do and not feel so hemmed in by this idea of what it means to be a quote unquote, good therapist. Ah, yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. There's so much judgment that we can feel in our community, unfortunately. And from ourselves too. I mean, I'm thinking about like when we set our rates for our private practice there that you and I had like a, a dancing conversation about it. Right. And that, so that itself is a system put in place by, okay. So that's a system put in place to make us not ask for more money. And when Joanna and I, and every other therapist in the world carries it into our own business, it is so nonsensical, but why would it not happen? We have this internalized idea that we're not supposed to talk about money, but really it's put in place to make us not ask for more money. Exactly. Exactly. And then I think we need to ask like, okay, who is that really serving when therapists, you know, exit grad school with sometimes more than a hundred thousand dollars in debt from their undergrad and graduate combined. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I just pointed to myself and said this one. Yeah. I mouthed this one. Yes. Right. Right. And I can't tell you how many therapists feel like an incredible amount of shame around that and burdening. Like it can just be such a a heavy, heavy topic, but then like, we don't feel like we have any way forward. And, and so, and then we're trying to do work. We're trying to ma- run businesses and, and not just run businesses, but like be there for our clients, like do that type of heart centered work. When we're dealing with all of this shame, guilt, heaviness, fear related to this debt, and we don't have support for that ourselves. Um, yeah. And we, we deserve, like I'm laughing at myself because I'm saying deserve, we deserve help and not even deserve. Like, again, I'll take that out of the sentence. It's like, we can have help. Like the, there is a reality in which you don't actually have to struggle with this alone, where you don't have to pick between shitty alternatives. And I'm not saying like walking this path is always easy. It's actually quite challenging. It's very evocative emotionally. It's very evocative spiritually. It's actually going to challenge your identity. Really. It's going to challenge your, like who you think you are, but it's totally worth it. And if I I think if people are listening to this and they're even a little bit curious, then, then they should take the next step because people who are listening to this and they're like, Oh, you know, Felicia's off her rocker. Like I, she's, she's clearly just like a bad, greedy therapist, like, you know, not into it. If they're listening and thinking that, then like, they're probably not at the place where they're ready to take the next step. Right. And they, and, you know, honestly, I needed people at different points down the road who I could look at and be like this bitch, you know, like who I could think was like a bad therapist or a bad person. And if I'm that for you right now, you're welcome. 
you get to think of me as a bad therapist. But if you're at the place where you're like, oh, something is interesting to me about this, then like taking the opportunity to educate yourself is going to be so, so worth it. And there are people out there, so many therapists are beginning to do this work, are in the midst of this work. And I'm so excited for how our field is changing because I'm really, really tired of seeing therapists like constantly getting burned out and replaced by new therapists. Like, this is ridiculous. This is like a ridiculous solution to a problem that we're just churning through therapists and tossing them out the other end. Yeah. When it would be way less expensive to just keep people on. and Exactly and train them and support them and care for them and nurture them and just maybe hire another therapist or two for the love of God group. Oh goodness. Wouldn't that person. be nice? Yeah. Oh, Felicia, that's so exciting. I feel, I feel very like jazzed up now. It's, it's <laughs> like, I mean, obviously we have during a lot of interviews, it's people talking about their struggles and how they're, you know, in a great place now, but from this interview, I'm feeling just like it's cool to know that through the struggles, there can be something on the other side to really like, like see that pot of gold. <laughs> I hope it's literally going with this. It's so nice to just hear that we can, we have this option. It's yeah. It's to hear that. We do. And it's not that far away. You know, I think a lot of us like we'll put off the reward. We'll say like, you know, once I'm licensed to then all da, 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 or like, well, I just, you know, I'm too early in my career. I couldn't possibly charge that, or I couldn't possibly, uh, you know, take weekends off or like only work till five people, people want to come in at five. They have to come in at five. I can't have a practice if people can't come in at five. That is bullshit. That is the biggest pile of garbage I've ever heard. That's so ridiculous. Like people will come in and see you at 11 a.m it's fine. Right. Like this whole idea that I can only do this thing once I pass this benchmark is total BS. If you are not licensed yet and you have the ability to raise your fee, raise your fee, crunch the numbers. Most people make their fees based on like a really weird math equation where they're like, okay, what is the maximum amount of people I can stuff into my week? without like losing my mind. They're like, great, 18 people, 25 people, 30 people, whatever it is. And then they're like, great, what is the minimum amount of money I can survive on? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? They're like, okay, let me crunch those numbers. And this is my fee, it's $50. I'm like, that is the opposite. The equation should be, what is what would be like a delightful amount of people to see every week? Like, what would be my dream schedule? How many, how many hours a week is that? Okay, great. Now I need to be making at least six figures. Let's just make it 150K because that's what I need bare minimum to be paying my bills, taking time off, putting money into retirement, doing all these different things, bare minimum, 150. Maybe 200 feels too scary. Maybe 300 feels completely insane. So let's cut you some slack and start you at 150. All right. So you have the amount of people you'd like to see each week that feels delicious and wonderful. And you can imagine doing that for a long time and leaves you time to do other things that you enjoy in your business and personally 150 K and then you crunch the numbers and you end up with a fee that's closer to like 250, 300. Mm-hmm. That's how we should be making our fees. Not the bizarre equation I described first. Yeah. I, and I always encourage Felicia, like you mentioned a couple minutes ago, like, why are we thinking this way? Ask yourself what your motivation is behind these thoughts. So if it's, 
if you feel that you need to be seeing 35 clients a week, who put that idea into your head? Was it insurance companies? Was it your supervisor? Was it your boss? Was it a client that gave you a hard time about having a high fee? You know, what, what is behind that and how can you eradicate it? How can you free yourself from that and not personalize it so much? And also being gentle on yourself for, for kind of being swindled. It's, it's, it happens in this field. It happens to most of us. And that's why we were here talking about it. I wanted to just add today, today I got my checks in the mail to finally pay myself after starting oh, yeah. my business a couple months ago, more than a couple. Thank you. But like, I think I had been like, oh, I'm not going to think about money. I'll just, and then I was like, wait a minute, I need money. (laughs) You know, like, it's just so strange. I I appreciate, I I use simple practice as my uh, EHR and like, they started putting this little like monthly income and it's so nice to see. At first I was like, oh, I don't need to see that. But I was like, wait a minute, that's actually pretty fucking cool to see that. And like, it feels more manageable. And like, today is the day I'm going to pay myself for the first time, which again is like, what have you been doing, Joanna? Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's hard. And it's something that I know I'm going to struggle with for a while. But um, it's good to know there are other people like along the same journey as I am. Absolutely. Congratulations. That is so exciting. It's really important to me and my containers to celebrate. So I am curious, like, are you celebrating or not? Are you, but how are you celebrating this? I don't know. I mean, I think, I don't know if I'm going to exactly celebrate, um, any, but maybe I should, I don't know. I'm probably going to eat a bunch of pierogies because that's like the only thing that I can stomach right now. So (laughs) yeah, I think celebration is so important because we, I mean, you're doing like, we're making our own businesses. Like that's a pretty bold move. Like most people actually aren't going to do that. (laughs) So that's a pretty bold move. Like paying yourself for the first time is huge. And like, I feel like sometimes I know for myself, it's like, I can only celebrate like the really big things. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have clients who are building their caseloads and again, like it's really important my containers that we celebrate. So sometimes they'll like get an intake, but then maybe they've had intakes who don't materialize into clients, right? That doesn't actually go through. And so they'll be like, oh, can I really celebrate this? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, but what if it doesn't follow through? I'm like, celebrate it anyway. Like celebrate every single thing because if you don't, then honestly, kind of what's the point? Like if you're not creating opportunities for enjoying and acknowledging, then like, what are we doing this for anyway? You know? So I'm just like, so thrilled hearing that you're paying yourself for the first time. And I feel like that's a, that is a big deal. Yeah. And so exciting. Yeah, it is. I'm super excited. And it was like, you know, part of me was because I was having trouble like accessing the money and I felt like dumb about it, but I called because there's people there to help you. They took care of it. Right. And now I can. And yeah, it's, it's hard because people have so much baggage with money. Right. Right. And I think we think people who have money just like know things we don't know. And it's like, (laughs) I can imagine it's like the judgment around like, Oh, I'm so stupid. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know. Get access to the money. Like someone else who's good with money knows how to do this. And it's like, you know what that person who's good with money is doing? They're doing exactly what you ended up doing. They're calling the fucking help desk. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
it's not it's not like this hidden like I mean in some ways things are hidden but like the information is out there and like people who are good quote-unquote good with money are not just like magically good with money they're like people who have just engaged with it over it's like riding a bike right it's like you don't like come out of the womb riding a bicycle you like do it over and over again and then you can do it so it's like learning about money is exactly the same way it is just exposure yeah and on that there is there is a personal finance subreddit and if that even doesn't feel accessible to you you can also try the poverty finance subreddit it 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 talks to folks who are impoverished and gives them lessons on just how to save like a couple dollars a day or a couple dollars a week and how far that can go so even if even if like regular like small term investing feels inaccessible to you there are resources out there for folks at all SES uh, absolutely yeah, an emergency, like before investing generally, an emergency fund is like the first thing that you want to do is creating a savings account that has like three to six months of um, your co- your expenses saved. Um, yeah. And for yeah. all those millennials and other folks that are not homeowners yet, that is separate, I believe, right? So if you're saving for a house, have that. Those are separate. Fund. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I think like the other thing that can be really important talking about like gendered stuff around money is most women, most financial information geared towards women advises us to save. Don't buy lattes. I, I hate that so much. <laughs> Don't like, buy, are you, are y'all buying lattes? You better stop that. That's why you can't own a home. That's so cool. That's very nice. Yeah. I mean, I've told, I've told clients, I'm like, if you enjoy that coffee, buy the coffee. Exactly. Because like, it's more than just the $3. It's like, but it, uh, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm with you. It's really frustrating. And like, so Rachel Rogers uh, released a book in the past year called we should all be millionaires. And she, she really talked about this point. Um, And one of the, her kind of perspective that she presents is like, stop telling women to save $5 a day as if that's going to make some huge difference and start telling them to learn how to earn more money, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about saving $3. It's about earning $300, right? Like we've got it twisted. And she talked about how financial advice geared toward men is often encouraging them to invest and take risks to invest time and even money so that they can make more money, whether that's like hiring someone on at their business so that they can scale or whatever it may be, right? Or in our case, as private practice owners, like if there's software that we need for businesses that would make it easier, right? You know, I think about when I was first starting and I was like, oh, I don't want to spend money on like, I truly didn't want simple practice because it didn't make sense for my business. But let's just say that I was like, well, I don't want to spend like $20 on simple practice. I'll do everything via like Google suites and like, cause that's like $6, but I'll have to make all my templates and I'll have to da da da. And it's like, okay, hold on. So you just like save quote unquote $20, but you're spending like multiple hours more a week trying to use this like software that was not created for this. So like, again, this is the like, mentality of don't buy lattes when what we really need to be doing it's like how can I increase my earning potential right 
And for therapists in private practice, like the first thing you can do is actually raise your fees. And it's so funny because people will come to me and they're like, you know, like, I really want to make more money, but like, what do I do? And I'm like, raise your fee. And they're like, God, there must be something I could do to make more money. <laughs> I'm like, well, you could raise your fee. No, I don't want to do that. I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's, it is, it is culture wide <laughs> gaslighting is what it is because we're all, I mean, Joanne and I were just in this, this year and Felicia, it sounds like you've experienced this too. We are all just we have this part of our brain removed that wants us to pursue wealth and be able to finance our futures. And then, and then when we're finally encouraged to parts to start using that part of our brain, you know, we're really surprised when it doesn't work very well or when we're not great at it and that's okay. It's okay. Right. It's okay to not be great at it. It's okay to be really bad at it at first. That's yeah. It's totally okay to be bad at it. And I, again, it's just really funny because this is, this is math. It's like super, it's like algebra, super simple math. And people are like, and it's real and tangible and people want there to be any other answer, like anything besides raise their fees. Right. They're just like, please give me something else. I'm like, this is not, this is, we're not dealing in magic here. Like, this is just like math. I don't know what you want me to tell you. Like, this is literally how we get you out of the problems you're experiencing, you know, the not being able to save, not being able to take time off. And it's like, no, there must be something else. There must be some other way. I'm like, honey, there's not like, (laughs) you need to stop charging $50 for therapy. That's what I gotta say. Yeah. Just end of sentence. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking, I think you talked about this earlier, but are there any resources that you think would be helpful for our listeners to know about? Yeah. So I would say like, check out your, you know, local, local organizations and see if there are any, anything um, geared towards entrepreneurs that you can connect with. Like just go into your favorite business and talk to the people there, like invite the owner out for coffee, pick their brain, ask them questions, start talking to your other therapist friends about money. If they're super judgy, um, maybe don't talk to them right now, go find people who are like-minded and who are on board with you making money and earning a living. Um, and who can, yeah, who can at least like hold you in that conversation. Come join my your Facebook group. That's a great place to be. Obviously, a liberated business is fantastic. Um, yeah, listening to podcasts. I can share books. I really liked Profit First. That was a really, really helpful book for me to read early on. And it's sort of the way that I do finances in my business. Um, so that book is great. I mean, there are just so many, I will, I will send y'all an email with like a bunch of links to things. Fantastic. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And did you want to talk a little bit about the cohort that's coming up? Kind of how to, yeah. you know, what, what it's about, how to access Absolutely. It. I am so excited about this next cohort. Like I said, I can't believe we're already like end of year one. Um, so yeah, we're starting in January. Um, and it's an entire calendar year of support. Um, and that was really, really important to me to create a bigger container because this takes time, like integrating all this information, putting it into practice, sticking with it through the ups and downs, and there will be ups and downs. 
takes time and it's so easy when you're kind of like on your own in a shorter container to just sort of like tap out and be like, JK, I'm done. Or, oh, it's not working. I guess this must not be how it goes. And instead to be able to have the support to stick with it through all of the ups and downs is so helpful. Um, yeah. So in the program, you get a bunch of group coaching, you get Q and A's with guest experts. I'm so excited about the people who are coming in this next year. We have folks coming in who are SEO experts, social media experts, personal finance, business accounting, anti-racist coaches, all these different folks. Um, and you also get one-on-ones with me. So that's really fun. And what is even more exciting is that I'm giving away a spot in this next cohort. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are welcome. <laughs> to yeah. Be in I it. might. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that that's working is I am running an event, um, at the beginning of December called the six figure therapist challenge. So I was really thinking long and hard about, okay, how can I distill basically the most crucial pieces of what I'm teaching to help therapists meet six figures and blow past that? Because I, in my program, I, I basically teach it all. Like we go into marketing, sales, running your business finance, your personal finance, getting clear on who your ideal client is. Like it's sort of a one-stop shop for like everything you need to do in your practice. But in terms of like, what are the actual steps you need to take to earn six figures? I wanted to distill that down so that people can do it. Because again, it's very, very straightforward. We want to make it more complicated, but the actual steps to doing that are incredibly simple. So I'm running the Six Figure Therapist Challenge in December, and you can sign up for that for $30. It's available to be enrolled in right now. Um, At the time that this podcast airs, I think there will be like maybe just about a week left to sign up for that. I think uh, maybe like three days or something. <laughs> oh, three days. I think this, I think this is going to air the like last Monday of November, which is like November 29th. Okay, great. And it will start the Monday after that. So oh, okay, yes, cool. it will be Good. like exactly a week. Perfect. Um, yeah. So you sign up for that for $30 and then you invite your friends. And the person who invites the most people who end up signing up for the challenge will win the $15,000 spot in liberated business. So get your friends, pay $30, get your friends to sign up for this event and you potentially win a spot that's like worth $15,000 in my program. So it's kind of worth it, right? It's a little, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Advertise the hell out of that too in our <laughs> in our marketing. Yeah, yeah, please do. I think you know I've had people who've been watching me and watching this work for you know the past year and who wanted to join in the first cohort and who were like, you know, I just can't make it happen right now. And so I really I think that people, um, you know, like I said, I've I've been invited to really invest in myself on a level that felt scary. And so I'm such a big believer in like inviting others to do that. And for folks who are just like, I absolutely cannot do this any other way. I'm like, you have no fucking excuse now. Like I've literally, if money is the reason you don't have that reason anymore. So if you want the spot, it's yours essentially for $30. So (laughs) here you go. Let's see you make it happen. I'm like picturing all the therapists squirming with like, Oh, I don't know if I should, but but I get it there, but do it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and we have so much fun together. So, uh, I feel like I get to do 
I get to do my dream job. I love the people who are in my program. And actually I've, I've since closed my therapy practice and am just coaching and mentoring other therapists now because I'm having so much fun doing it. Um, and it was just time to make a change. You know, I really loved being a therapist when I was a therapist and I'm really loving the parts of myself and my personality that get to show up as a coach and the fact that I get to teach. I really enjoy teaching and mentoring. And I just, the, the insane amount of satisfaction I get from seeing other people not having to make mistakes and like figuring things out in year one that without the sort of support they would have figured out in year five. And just, just like all that gets to be avoided. And I just love it so much. That's so, that's so incredible. Oh, good deal. Do you have any questions for us? Sure. Um, go. So something I always ask my people is like, what are you celebrating? And I, and I encourage people to shamelessly brag. Uh, so we use the prompt. I brag that and we just list brags and say it over and over again. So I would love to hear what you're celebrating. Love to hear any brags. Yeah. All right. What is it? I I'm bragging. What do I say? I, I brag that. So it could be something like, so I brag that I'm on this podcast right now and I did a great job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. So Thank I you. brag that my caseload is now full and I, yeah. for the first time, less than one year in opening. And I brag also that I have the amount of sliding scale people that I wanted and no more than that. And I brag, brag, brag. Yes. Well bragged, nice. Sarah. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> I mean, I'm bragging that I'm paying myself today. That's great. That feels really cool. Um, I'm bragging that I'm able to kind of have a schedule that I want to have, which is like a lifesaver right now. So um, that's great. Awesome. Well, brag, Joanna. Thank ah. you. Yeah. We did some good bragging today. Thank yeah, you we I did. We're bragging that we're bragging. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. You're bragging on life. Well, we're not live, but <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, we all have like cool headphones on. We look like we know what we're doing. Yes. Yeah. We brag that we look like we know what we're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I brag that my recording equipment worked flawlessly. Oh, I mean, it works flawlessly every time, Sarah. No one knows. Oh, so. yeah. No one hears it ever. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> to hear if you were to hear it. <laughs> Breaking everybody's brain. Enjoy. <laughs> I brag that I broke their brains. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm bragging that we had like a really fantastic conversation with you. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was really yeah. good. Thank you. Yeah. I am so grateful that I got to be on here. Um, the timing is absolutely perfect. I'm also just love that I get to be the first West coaster on your podcast. That yeah. makes me, it just feels exciting to reach the corners of the country. So thank yeah. you for participating in that with us. Absolutely. Yeah. So we do have one more question. It's our, would you rather question? Um, okay. would you rather drive through the desert with no air conditioning and all the windows rolled up? Or drive a convertible top down through a heavy snowstorm? Oh, hands down the first one. I'm from Bakersfield. I can handle the heat. Yeah, I used to have a car uh, where the AC was broken for like so long, for maybe like more than five years. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I I would drive around with the windows down and it was like just being blasted with like the hottest blow dryer right in your face the whole time. 
Um, so windows up would be worse, but I could, I could do it. Do I get water? Can I stay sure. hydrated? Okay. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the car in the snowstorm would be like a bad idea. Cause then the car would get full of snow and then you couldn't drive it anymore. So like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking logistics too. I don't think there's any convertible that has good like four wheel drive for snow. <laughs> And I'm <laughs> like, forget this is, a, this this is the first, this, now this, now it will be born and Sarah will be I, the first owner of a convertible with four wheel drive. Oh Christ. I don't know if I'd be better being like really mean cause I'm really hot or if I'd be better being really mm. like not having any of my senses cause I'm really cold. I guess the answer is the first one. Yeah. A little bit of my meanness from either being hungry or hot. So I was once in the back of a Jeep and we drove across the Chesapeake Bay bridge. And that was terrible. Cause like your face just like becomes a rock because like the wind is so high. And also I'm not a big fan of bridges. So it was like a great, it was a great trip all around for me. And and the wall on that bridge is three feet high. I oh. swear to God, like a gust of wind always hits me on this. So oh. it's just a bridge across this huge like body of water. And don't look up pictures if so, you don't like bridges. It's so high it'll... up in the air. And the wall that keeps you from plunging to, you know, uncertain doom is not very high. It's like so. knee high. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. And it's just like a, it's just a road in the water. Like there it's, that's how long it is. Mm. And now I'm kind of morbidly curious. I'm like, I kind of yeah. And go it goes, now. and it goes from it's because it's a pretty, it's yeah, a bridge it goes bridge tunnel bridge tunnel bridge tunnel. So it's just like, are you afraid of being on a bridge or in a tunnel? <laughs> oh, yep, both. Here we go. Yeah, and now ball. you're in a convertible during yeah. a snowstorm. Yeah, no, no traction. Enjoy. What is this bridge called? I need to look this the up. The Chesapeake Bay Bridge. <laughs> Chesapeake. And if you really want to add fear, also just add the uh, the Baltimore Tunnel. Awesome camp bait. So like any natural disaster could just leave you. Yeah, I used to think <laughs> that tunnels, I used to think that tunnels were just on the bot, like laying on the bottom of the ocean. The I was cable. like, I was like, <laughs> things can just like wash it away. <laughs> Not realizing it's like under, like there's water. No, it's like water and rocks. And then it's like, oh, that's worse. Like okay. you are the aquarium. <laughs> the aquarium yeah, yeah. <laughs> Underground tunnels are insane. There's so many... Yeah, don't get me started on modern technology. I'm like, Ugh, this no. stuff blows my mind. Yeah, we rely heavily on it. And it yeah. could very quickly have a mind of its own. Yeah, a little bit of breeze <laughs> on the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Uh, well, if you don't like that, there is a canyon outside of where I'm from uh, going up the Kern River. And it's it's like what you described, except it's on a two-lane windy canyon road with like no shoulder. Like just straight up, like boulders, insane river at the bottom. I don't love it. That was okay. <laughs> I, I couldn't even handle like walking across the Golden Gate Bridge. I was like, there was more breeze here than there is. It's windy. Place. Yeah. What's weird is like the way my anxiety works. I'm totally fine walking on a bridge. I don't know what it is, but like being in a car, I guess because like, I'm like more mobile in my head. It's like faster. If like something goes wrong, it's going to happen I, I've faster, got more maybe. maneuverability yeah. as yeah. walking. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but yeah. Uh, uh. I'm sure it's legitimate <laughs> no matter what it is. All right. Um, Felicia, any other questions or any other comments or any other goals that you would like to share with us? 
you know, there's always more to say about this topic. So, uh, I mean, I really could go on forever, but I think we covered like so much good stuff here. So I would just say, invite people to like reach out to me, get to know me, follow me on the socials. I'll also make sure I share my handle with you guys. Um, yeah, you can share yeah. right now if you'd like. Okay. Yeah. Out. It's Felicitas for therapists. So it's my name in Latin it means happiness and good luck, which I think is really fun. Beautiful. Uh, I want therapists to feel happy and lucky. So yeah. So come find me on the socials. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, have a free Facebook group. If you have questions, hit me up. If you're mad at me, <laughs> you think I'm a bad therapist still hit me up. I don't know. It might be interesting to hear from you. Uh, <laughs> we need more converts. <laughs> we need yeah. more converts. Yeah. I'm trying to very much disrupt the therapy industry. I kind of woke up and I was like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. wait a minute. This thing that I loved for so long is like doing like has some real serious problems. Uh, yeah. So I just say like, get in touch, let's hang out, let's talk and please join liberated business. Please join the six figure therapist challenge and win a spot in liberated business. If you're inspired to do so, um, and ask me any questions. Great. Thank you so much. This was an amazing conversation. Both of us are feeling super jazzed, ready to go. Awesome. I'm so glad. And I hope we'll get to do this again. Yeah. This would be fun. Honestly, we should probably just have like a financial talk, like whole episode, a good idea, like breaking down, breaking down in therapist and non-therapist language, like the different types of savings, like IRA, Roth, the solo 401k, which I just opened. Solo 401ks are so cool. Doing like cartwheels in my home. Yeah. (laughs) Talking about the different options for us. um, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the show. Be sure to subscribe slash rate slash review us on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. You can check us out on Instagram at TNDPod or Twitter at TherapistNDPod, all one word. Or visit our website. It's cool. It's nice. It's TNDPodcast.com. It's a pretty nice website if I do say so myself. You did a good job on that website. Yeah. Uh, I'm always on it all the time uploading the episodes, so I like it. Uh, if you would like the ability to vote on what questions we ask our guests and so much more, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash TND podcast. Uh, if you would like to send us an email, just let us know how it's going. You can email us at therapists next door at gmail.com. That's therapist plural next door at gmail.com. Also email us if you'd love to be a guest on the podcast. Uh, Sarah, do you have anything to plug? Yeah teletherapy underscore with sarah find me on instagram i do every other week bi-weekly is not the right phrase because nobody agrees if it's every other week or twice i think you just say whatever you want thank you you. bi-weekly i do every other week blog posts for millennials functioning as professionals and i do weekly posts for friday Friday journal prompts so enjoy that those are great prompts make me feel good yeah. Uh, yeah, I am Oriana Therapy. You can find me at orianatherapy.com or uh on yeah. Instagram, which I update sometimes. And um I also want to plug our Therapist Connect in Pennsylvania project that we are starting with a former guest of ours. Um it's a support network for therapists right now only in Pennsylvania. Um but uh I think that's uh, C Therapists, 
on Twitter? I mean, on, on Instagram. Instagram. Therapist Connect in PA. We do Therapist Connect in PA Therapist on Instagram. In PA. Yeah. So join us before we do join us before we will have, um, starting in 2022, we will have a yearly charge. Join us beforehand to put in your hot pro tips of what you'd like the group to consist of, but it is not supervision. It is peer support. So come get supported, come get not judged, come get all the things that you like and need. Yeah. What she said until next time. We are your, we are your therapist, therapist next, next door. <laughs> good work, good work, good work. Thank you.